You need an email list. You should be mailing your list every week or you should be mailing your list every day. Don't burn out your list. The money is in the list. You've probably heard these and dozens of other bits of advice from experts and non-experts all about the importance of email. And it is important, but what this advice leaves out oftentimes is the reader. How much email do they want to receive? How often do they want to receive it? And what do they want to read? What if you could send an email customized for every one of your readers, not groups of readers, not tags or interests, but every reader gets a different version of your email. I'm Rob Marsh, one of the founders of the Copywriter Club, and today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is an interview between my co-host Kira Hug and Erica Salm Wrench, the COO at Rasa. Io. Rasa is an AI tool that makes it easy for marketers to send individual emails to each person on their list. Each person gets an email with different content, and it's an idea and a tool that we think is worth talking about. As we think more about AI and how copywriters should be or could be using it differently in their business, this is just another tool that might open your eyes to what is possible. But before we dive into what Erica shared with us, just wanted to let you know the Copywriter Accelerator is around the corner. We open a new members next week, and whether you're a copywriter or a content writer, a marketer, a social media strategist, you've probably felt the shift that has happened in the marketing world over the past year. Some of it was AI, like we're going to talk about today. Some of it is the economy, which is hopefully improving. Part of it is the competition that we face because there are so many new copywriters and content writers uh, moving into the space, attracted by the opportunities there. So how do you stand out? How do you break through that noise and become the only person that your prospects, your clients want to work with? That's what the Copywriter Accelerator helps you do. It's not a course. It's a group program that you work through with a bunch of peers. You get strategic direction and coaching that you need to build a stronger business, uh, to help think through your messaging, your products, your prices, and you get support from a small group of very focused, very engaged copywriters who are doing the program with you. Nearly 500 copywriters have gone through this program and used it to land better clients, to in, um, improve and upgrade their niche and their brand, to create new products and services, to grow their network. If you're thinking that you could use anything like that, you owe it to yourself at least to find out more. Even if you ultimately decide not to join, doors do open right after uh, this week after Labor Day. So head over to thecopywriteraccelerator.com, get on the list and to learn more now. Now let's jump into our interview with Erica Salm Wrench. I started my career in Tulane's admission office many, many years ago and developed a real affinity for all of the marketing automation tools that were coming online at the time that are now household names, but at the time they were they were newish, like, like MailChimp and HubSpot. And so I kind of saw that was where the world was going with smarter marketing technology. And then when I graduated with my MBA from Tulane, I, I went to manage a team at a large marketing agency in the Gulf South. Um, we did everything digital. We did SEO really well. SEO is obviously changing quite a bit these days. We did uh, social media marketing really well. We did front end and back end web enhancements to help folks stand out amongst the chaos of the online marketplace. And so we were really good at um, packaging and processizing 
many different online marketing tasks. And we supported, I think, over 800 clients at one point. But the one thing that we didn't ever really touch was email because email is hard to do really well, but also at scale. So we never thought we would build it into hundreds of clients' packages. And so when I was re-engaged with someone that I met during my MBA years about using AI to disrupt the email world, it sounded super compelling because it sounded like a space that really needed the help of AI to help people increase their quantity game while not sacrificing email quality. So, so that's what led me to Rasa. And it was about going on six years ago at this point that I started at Rasa in more of a marketing and, um, and customer success role. Although when I started, we didn't really have <laughs> customers. Um, but now we have over uh, 600 organizations using our platform. And so I've just kind of been there from the ground up. And um, this was my, you know, the next, the next part of my Rasa journey. I love it, but you were in charge of customer success with, you know, at the beginning with zero customers, it's a win. Um, and I'm curious, what's the difference between your original position with customer success in the marketing and then COO role? What are some of the significant changes in your day-to-day since you made that shift? Absolutely. So I started out, um, obviously it was more heavy in the marketing, in the marketing realm because we, we had people essentially trialing the product. So I spent a lot of time gathering feedback. And so it was almost like a product development role in combination with quote unquote customer success um, and just spending being very close to the people who were using it and understanding it and taking their feedback and working with our developers and applying it. Um, and then and then I, I really just loved helping people do their email better. And I helped I loved helping people strategize. And that actually um, kind of led to the next part of my path, which was a sales, more of a sales role. And it's surprising because I never thought of myself as, as a salesperson. I thought of myself hundred percent as the, as the customer success or, you know, marketing person, but sales was actually a natural progression because I think so oftentimes when people think of sales, they think of like people trying to push things on them that they don't really want. And for me, I always saw sales as like, I want to help people with something that I feel really passionate and strongly about, which, which is the Rasa product. So it was, a, it actually was, um, was a nice next step in that journey. And then, um, and then when our former COO um, left to go to a different part of his path, I ascended into that role. And um, it's, it's been great because I, I see all the pieces of the business now and, the in the entire system working together. And prior to that, I had kind of touched every piece of it. And now it's nice because I get to be part of part of all of those pieces at once. And the gathering feedback part really stood out to me because that's something as copywriters that we do so frequently, mostly for our clients to gather that feedback. I think we're pretty good at it, but I imagine that you were maybe approaching it from a different angle um, to get that product feedback. So are there any like tricks or tips that you would offer to us that maybe we aren't thinking about when we're looking for that feedback? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that jumps into my mind is that there are very few people that proactively offer feedback. So we would always seek the feedback before we just received it from someone and hoping that they gave it to us. 
So I think it was, it was like that constant touch and consistency and reaching out before, before the client or, or potential client had the, had the initiative to reach out because so often times people don't want to hurt your feelings or they don't necessarily think that their perspective is going to help. But, but if you tell them that their perspective would really help out and that you're, you're, you're seeking their input so that you can make the product better. Um, they're much more likely to give it. So not just waiting, but like seeking it out. Yeah. And what's the right cadence? What's the right flow for that? Is it, I mean, I think I'm thinking of like right now we were running a beta program and I haven't really asked for feedback in it. It's been a couple months, probably should have asked for it in the first week. Like what was the first week experience like? So how do you view that experience and the milestones when you ask for feedback? We were seeking feedback probably after every after every send for some of these really early people when we were you know really seeking to to develop the I mean this was like way back in the day when we had you know four or five people using <laughs> you're all over them <laughs> we were all over them and we were giving them I mean we were emailing them their email data as opposed to you know because we didn't even have a user interface at that point we didn't even have a dashboard. So it was very, very hands-on. So I think that um, because we were just this consistent presence and they so clearly saw that we wanted them to succeed, that was one of the reasons that eventually, you know, these people did pay us money (laughs) for the product. Yeah. And I could see an opportunity. I'm thinking about ways to, you know, um, enhance packages that copywriters offer, content writers offer, where it's something that we can do with our clients ongoing as they launch the program. So I typically work on launch copy to launch a new product or a new course. But what if I actually didn't say goodbye after we launched it and stayed on or started a new project contract with my client to say, cool, now that we're in the program or your product is in your customer's hands, I'm going to take the responsibility of checking in with them on a regular basis to get that feedback along the way, uh, which is valuable for new programs. But also I think like we all need to be doing that with any offer today because it's shifting so quickly and because the technology is shifting so quickly, we need that access and that feedback. Right, right. And you want to find your power people, right? The people that you know are like like really taking advantage of the program that you developed and like really big believers because those people are going to be your greatest assets and giving you the best, the best feedback along the way. All right. So you mentioned sales too. And I want to talk about that because that's something that many of us writers struggle with at times. Um, Even though we're great at writing sales copy, we struggle with our own sales calls. So um I like your philosophy on just like, I want to help people and it's a tool to help people. And I'm wondering how else you might approach sales conversations, especially if it is an actual sales call or conversation, how you approach that and any tips you have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel very strongly about coming at it from like a supportive place. And I also think it can be to someone's advantage to just be a, a total expert in the field, either that they're writing about or just maybe the technologies that surround what they're doing. And people want to buy from people who who seem to know about what they're doing, right? They want to they want to buy from people who know their business even better than they do and know what they need to accomplish even even better than they do. So I think becoming either an expert in what you're writing about or just 
the copywriting process and how that can help the the prospect's business succeed could really could really be helpful in addition to coming at it from the how can I support perspective. Now I'd imagine the great thing about the community of folks that you work with is they're probably all passionate about their product, quote unquote, because they're writers and they, you know, they know they do a great job and they feel really strongly about their work. And so having that passion too about what you're doing is people are going to read that. People are going to see that in, in your in your communication. And how do you view the sales cycle, especially, I know, you know, what you're selling as a product or when you were in that sales role is slightly different than what copywriters are selling, but how do you view that timeline? And is it like, okay, well, I do need to close them by the end of the sales conversation, or I'm going to sit with this. They're probably going to need three months to really sit with it before they're ready to, to purchase. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, for us, we really turned a corner when we focused heavier on um, discovery questions, really understanding what the prospect's goals were and identifying what we'd call, quote unquote, the gap. Um, you know, what what is the motivation of your buyer? Like, how do you help them succeed? How do you help them look good to their boss? How do you help them have a major win at their organization? And if you ask the right questions, you will you will gather that, um, and then and then you can use that to your advantage. Like if someone says, "Well, I just you know we we just don't have enough time to create the right content," you know, and then when you follow up with them a week later, like how's your how's your content creation going? Have you been able to amp up your content creation game? Has has the has the content started flowing? Like really get at the crux of what they were initially the reason that they were initially talking to you. Um, that's really, that's really helped us because, you know, even though we're a personalized newsletter solution, some people come to us for, you know, the AI personalization, but some people come to us for the time savings and some people come to us because we can help them increase their email ROI and via ad sales. And so it's, um, even though it's like, it's a newsletter, it's an email newsletter solution. They're all different motivations for why, why people come to us. And let's talk about what you do in the product and how it's different than maybe what many of us are used to for newsletters. And just let's break down how it works. Yeah, absolutely. So what we do at Rasa is that um, we help you send a personalized email to all of your subscribers. So instead of one version of a newsletter to 5,000 or 10,000 people, you're sending 5,000 or 10,000 different versions based on people's reading preferences and behaviors. And so, and so it allows you to really gather valuable insights on your audience in turn, and then leverage those automatically collected insights to further refine the content that they're receiving. Now, as a community of, of writers and content creators, um, we, of course, under, and we work with a lot of people who create a lot of their own great content as well. You're obviously going to want to maybe highlight that amongst the the other articles and blogs and podcasts that you might share to to stay relevant in your space, and so you can absolutely do that. But but what we do is we allow you to kind of you know source content from all different places and then personalize a compilation of those relevant pieces for for every user. And can you maybe talk through an example of that? What that might look like? You know how it's sourced. You're pulling other sources into a newsletter and what type of level of personalization? 
Yeah, absolutely. So American Marketing Association has been one of our longest clients. We've been working with them for, I think, over five years at this point. And what they do is they have, they write a lot of content themselves. They're always creating great blogs and articles, and they have a lot of great educational webinars um, and in-person sessions that they also want to highlight. But then they also draw from all different kinds of marketing blogs and resources like the HubSpot blog and Neil Patel and all of these people that create wonderful content in the marketing space. And so they're always bringing in those resources into, into the Rasa platform or the content pool, as we call it. And their, their piece that they produce is always at the top. And then they could also write in some copy to kind of introduce the issue of the newsletter. And then the rest of the newsletter will fill out with what is the most relevant content for each marketer, because all marketers are different. So the graphic designer is going to want different content than the social media marketer, than the paid online advertising manager, or someone who is a leader and runs their own agency. And so, so the AI is going to figure that out. And so oftentimes as, um, as marketers, the cycle of figuring out, you know, what is, I, I sent out an email campaign. I got some data back. I know, I sort of know what people are clicking on. What does that mean for the next email that I send out? And then refining, refining that email campaign. All, that cycle takes so long. And so in the case of the AMA, there the content that is sent out to each subscriber is, is always getting smarter and smarter. Um, and they don't have to, that's automatic. They don't have to go in and, and do things to ensure that Eric gets the right articles, for example. Is there a prerequisite for us? If I mean, do we need to make sure... Our list has been segmented and we've already gathered some data before using your platform, or can we just jump into and be like, well, here's, here are my people, figure out. Yeah, we, a lot of our clients do start from, from scratch and it's, it's a blank slate essentially. And so, you know, like, like your Netflix and like your Facebook feed, we're going to start with what's popular. We have a bunch of data built up. We can try a few things to start to get people to engage and then as soon as we get their behaviors, what are they opening? What are they clicking on? That's when we can start to, to hyper-personalize. Um, and to your point, we most of our clients come in with that blank slate, and we do not need a lot of data to get started. Just just your email addresses. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm going to ask all the basic questions about this. I'm wondering, too, let's just say I'm using it for the Copywriter Club and we have all types of segments, different copywriters, content writers, brand strategists, um, SEO consultants, all at different stages in their business. So they have different needs. Um, how do you see that working? Yeah. What are some examples of how I could think about it with our audience and how it might make sense, especially if I still want to write the content as a writer, I still want to write the content but maybe it's pulling in resources from our library of podcasts and trainings. Like, is that something we can have our closed, our closed resource library and give it access to that rather than opening it up to, I don't know, maybe our competitors podcast. Like maybe we wouldn't want to do that. Although that would be, that would be fine, but we, maybe we wouldn't want to do that. No, absolutely. So the good thing is that you get to define the content universe that we pull from. So you can put in your blog feed, your podcast feed, um, content about SEO, like great SEO resources, like SEMrush, for example, or um, or or like the or different Martech 
information or um, there's so many great like marketing and copywriting resources out there that might not be competitors of yours. So plugging all of those in, you also get to filter things down. So you might say, well, I want Harvard Business Review to come in as a source, but only if it hits on marketing. So you have all of this rich content, relevant content pulling in with your various include filters. You can also exclude filter your competitors' names if you wanted to do that as well. And you can you can source by topic. You could plug in like a Google News search um, URL query, and then we could pull in all of the all of the hits on that. You don't have to do that. And then you could also filter that down. So you get this this great rich pool of content to choose from that you feel comfortable with. And you still have this last line of review, right? Like you prior to every send, you can still glance at all of the content that would qualify to go out to your readers and say, even though this piece was great, it hit on some of my keywords, it came from a trusted source. I don't want that to, I don't want that to qualify for the newsletter. And then the the human touch that you could add would be an introduction to the issue of the newsletter and then, you know, what's the, the latest that's going on at Copywriter Club and all of the, you know, maybe an event that you're that you're putting out and that can go out to everyone. That introduction could be, you know, what everyone sees. And then and then in that introduction, you can say, and hey, here here's some articles specifically selected for you and your um, and your growth. So the personalization is really about the resources that are pulled. And then do you personalize based on messaging or and or voice or is it really more about like these resources are personalized for you the reader it's mostly conceptual so we're going to pick up on what topics are most relevant to each reader and the topics are determined also by ai so the ai is going to read the content to determine what a piece is about in order to best match it with the reader very cool um, I can see how this could work again for organizations like ours, where you do have a newsletter that you want to go out and you want to start personalizing it. I could also see how it could work, you know, if I'm wearing my service provider copywriter hat with like my small business there, where I could start doing this for my clients and create a new service, which I think is probably more applicable to most of the people listening. It's like you could you could offer this to your clients who may want to do this, but also may not want to put the time into setting it up and managing because it's definitely a process you have to manage, right? And curate or oversee, more overseeing. Oversee, right. Like instead of, you know, taking time to lay out the template and rewrite article titles and rewrite descriptions and resize imagery and place out the email, it's more of like a review and maybe like writing an introduction if, if you even go that far. So yes, to your point, we have a lot of agencies or you know small business owners that might manage marketing for, for other businesses using our platform. And then you could have essentially your grand account. And then within that account, have multiple newsletter campaigns. Each newsletter can have its own template, its own audience, its own audience sync or integration to you know, wherever you manage your email list. Um, its own content pool, and then you as the administrator can oversee multiple campaigns. And then you could have like just your client being able to see theirs and your other client being able to see theirs. And so it's um, it's definitely supportive of that model that, that you suggest. Are there any other use cases that I'm not thinking about? I mean, since I'm only, I'm really only thinking about two and they're both selfish. They both serve two of them. No, those are great examples. Great examples. And well, the nice thing is everyone needs a newsletter, right? 
So it's it we have people from all different verticals using using our product. Um, so so if there's a I mean if you need a newsletter, it's it's a great it's a great option. Okay, and so what does it look like as far as um, getting up and running, and even just like what is the investment for something like this? You know, for small business owners, if I'm thinking about okay, I do want to sell a package like this, I should probably bundle the pricing into what I'm going to sell it for. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So if you are, so of course it's all going to depend on feature set and what you need and how many campaigns you're going to run. If you are running multiple newsletter campaigns, that price point is going to start at $140 a month. And it has, um, it'll, it'll scale as you scale your contact count. And all of that's available on our website in terms of um, what, how much each feature costs, how much each contact tier costs. um, And then there's also, you know, if you want to talk to someone on our team, it's easy to to get in touch and and figure out, you know, what's the best what the best solution is for you. Where do you see the future of this going? Like to step back a little bit. I mean, I think it's easy to listen to this and be like, oh, well, that sounds cool. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll look into that at some point and then get distracted and just do what we typically do, which is write the newsletter from scratch or just yeah, keep business as normal, but I guess, what is the opportunity cost that you see with, we don't start to adapt and use these AI tools and think more strategically about scale and working in new ways? How do you view that? Yeah. So I think that these AI tools become really important for optimizing your time, especially as, you know, small business owners and writers, because you can really spin your wheels on the tedious stuff that doesn't add value, like laying out an email template. And if you're not able to fully optimize your time to be creative and to create first party source content, then then these tools are going to allow other people to pass you by. So I would definitely, you know, not just in the world of, of Rasa and email, but but stay on top of the, the landscape. Um, I, we, we, we actually, you and I met at a conference where people were talking all about this stuff, marketing AI institutes, Maycon, we met this summer there. Um, those folks, they do, they do a great podcast. Um, and so I always recommend to folks who want to stay on top of this and who want to, you know, not make sure that the technology doesn't leave them in the dust. That's a great resource listening to, to Paul Reitzer and, and what those folks are doing. I'd love to talk a little bit more about like if we step back into your COO role and that hat that you're wearing um, as an AI company, I'm sure there's so many efficient ways you're doing business today and weaving in AI tools and maybe it's not in every part of the business, but at least a few. Can you talk a little bit about like what you've tested as a team or at a higher level that is working or maybe something that has not worked? Yeah, no, that's such a great question. So I always say, so we're a team of about 15, 20 people, depending on who you count. But I think, but we operate like a team of 30 to 40 people because of the, because of our tools and our efficiencies and, you know, just being very well integrated with, as far as our tech stack goes. Um, So, so I was just talking to our marketing folks yesterday and they're trying out a new SEO tool that does some automated optimizations. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of blogs that we've published 
and did well to optimize those, I believe, in the beginning. But even if you're optimizing well, um, you know, when something's published in a couple of years, those optimizations sort of become out of date and need to be refreshed. So, so we're, we're testing out a tool right now that can help automate some of like the re-optimizing and help us get smarter about SEO efficiencies. Um, obviously, we use our Rasa AI newsletter. That's, that's a big piece of it. Um, I am a huge HubSpot fan. Everything talks to our HubSpot. Um, and we were fully integrated through Slack. So we get tons of really, um, really poignant notifications throughout the day and the right channels to the right people. Um, and then other AI, we use an AI uh, tool for social media. Um, so we're, we, we try to stay ahead of the curve. We try to practice what we preach. Um, and as far as the, the marketing AI tools go, and it really helps us operate efficiently. And what advice would you give to a smaller business owner, maybe does not have a team, maybe has a VA or assistant, um, but does want to optimize, like knows they're spending too much time spinning their wheels and doing repetitive tasks, but also feels overwhelmed by all the tools that are out there. I know I feel that way, especially this week for some reason. Like it's just, I think it's because I've had a couple of weeks away where I have not listened to all the podcasts and kept up to date. And I'm like, this is just, it's too it's too much. And I think we all feel that way at different times. So I guess how <laughs> advice or maybe places to start in a smaller business or even just like advice to how to process and keep up with it while also doing something and not just tapping out. And not just like thinking about doing something. Right. Yes, exactly. And to your point about being overwhelmed, like if you're not overwhelmed just about the marketing AI tools that are available to you out there, just thinking about the way the world's going is also very overwhelming. So there's there are many reasons to be overwhelmed. So that's a very fair place to be in right now. Um, I would I always tell people to start like look at your take a week and at the end of every day write down where you spent all of your time and find those places that you're spending multiple hours that don't bring you joy, but are just you doing tedious tasks and that don't necessarily add to the end value of the product. Those are the places you can optimize for. And then, you know, start, so, I mean, again, to the site marketing AI Institute, again, they do a great job vetting AI tools. There are a lot of great AI tool directories out there. Some of them have been around for longer than others. You probably want to be, use the ones that have been around for a while and aren't just accepting any willy-nilly tool submission. <laughs> um, but oh, uh, the, and G2, Captera, those, those directories do a really good job of helping you compare softwares too. But when you set out down the path of where do I even start for working on these efficiencies and optimizations, just look at your time. Where do you spend your hours where you could create some value and reallocate your, your brain to do some more creative, high value stuff? Have you created any type of team organization policy or anything to guide the team at a higher level at this point? Are you working on that? Not really. We we have, though, goals around leveraging AI tools in our processes. Like Those are pretty explicit. Um, and so when we find a software that makes sense for efficiencies and optimizations, then, then we go for it pretty quickly after we've tested it. Um, so in, in that way, sort of, I think sort of. I wonder almost if there's a way it's, you know, as smaller business owners could set a pace and almost set that goal to, or not a rule, but a guideline. 
I think that would help me to say, I want to introduce one new tool every quarter. <laughs> Maybe that's like actually really slow, but I think that might help with the overwhelm. Cause even as I say that, I'm like, that would help me at least think about how I could approach it in a way that works for me, where I don't feel pressured to add five new tools every month. But it's like, well, no, I can just, if I'm adding one a month, one every quarter, I'm making progress and can see what works for me. Right. That's much more bite-sized than a, I need to blow up my entire tech stack. Right. <laughs> Let me just tear it all down. Yeah. Uh, I want to jump back to the newsletter. If I'm thinking about my newsletter and it's aggregating maybe from a larger pool of marketing uh, tools and resources, my concern might be, well, maybe my newsletter ends up sounding like again, someone else in the space, because we're probably all pulling from similar sources. So how do I make sure I'm differentiating and providing value in a, in a way that's unique to the copywriter club versus some other similar marketing organization? Yeah, I think that for your people and your audience, it probably becomes particularly important to write some sort of introduction that still has their voice and that showcases they're writing because that's, you know, that's what a lot of them do best. And so that is, I think, the greatest opportunity to, to infuse their voice. And then like an intro to, and this is the kind of content you might see this week, of course, depending on your preferences or whatever pool they're drawing from. Okay. But it's also a good reason to own your own media asset of some type, right? So to have yeah. your own podcast, which is, is not easy to develop or YouTube show, right? Podcasts, YouTube, um, like I said, Google news feeds, obviously the most prominent media people pull in from is their own website. So their own blog feed or article or news feed, um, that they can pull in from anything they share to social. So if you share a link to your company page on LinkedIn, or you share a link to your Facebook page, you can, you can bring those links in as stories as well. So we have some people who use the tool who are really just pulling in from their social media feeds and their own blog. And then they barely need to even go into the, the platform itself because they know that the content is already vetted and then they can just automate their, their schedule. Yeah. I think that's really helpful because so many Copywriters are active on at least one social media channel, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram, um, maybe Facebook. And so they already have the content there. I didn't think about repurposing. And it's, it's a nice, it's kind of a, you know, nice circle of life or circle of marketing because it almost encourages you to show up more on social media and create content because you can repurpose it and use it in multiple ways. So it doesn't feel like it's lost just on Instagram. It's like, actually, then I'll be able to use this in the newsletter content in the future too. Right. And you can meet people where they want to be met. That way the email people get their email and the social media people see your social and you're not having to spend redundant time. And then could you recommend any other repurposing or have you seen any of your clients take the newsletter content and then pull from there and then push it out to social media which could maybe is like too, too full circle because they're pulling from social, sending the newsletter and then pushing it back out to social. No, no, we, no, we have a lot of people do. So there are a couple ways to do that in our platform. We have people that do that. I mean, I, there's like this really awesome graphic back in my SEO days that we would always cite called the content turkey. Like, you know how the Thanksgiving turkey, you repurpose it the next day and you make like turkey soup and a turkey sandwich. And, and it's the idea of repurposing 
like one maybe major piece of cornerstone content that you produced and turning that into bite-sized snippets for the other platforms. So we totally believe in that. But yes, to your point. So let's say you pull in from your own social media platforms, and then you also are pulling in from some external blogs and resources, then you, you know, you send that out in your, in your email. Then in our platform, you can also look at the, look at the articles that are performing the best and then reshare those to social with a click and say, this is what, this is what my readers are most interested in this week or today. And then you'll also get a web page that's a dynamic compilation of the most popular articles. So it's always changing. So you could put that on your website or you could share out that link and say, here's what my readers are most interested in. And then it also has like a little sign up at the bottom of, of the page. That's amazing. Okay. So for anyone who is interested in maybe thinking, okay, this does sound great, but it does sound like it could be tricky. I mean, I know we talked a little bit about setup and that you don't need anything really to set up other than the emails, but is there anything else um, that might make us feel better, me feel better as far as like the ease of use with a new tool like this, um, as far as how easy it is to use? So as we tell me so it's easy. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. So to make this conversation full circle, we 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 started out as a as a very customer focused organization and we we remain that way. So we have we have a we have a support team. If you have questions, they're happy to help. We have a great gu- online guide. So I think it's help.rasa.io that can really give you great ideas about getting started give you an overview of the platform and pretty much everything you need would be in that. But then if you have one-off questions, our support folks are happy to help. We also have um, an enterprise model that is very hands-on and um, very white glove in terms of the, of the service that we provide um, with those contracts. So we're, we're very, we're very committed to helping people succeed with the tool because we, we very strongly believe that we're changing the way People do email and we, we want people to feel great about that. And where do you see this going from, you know, whatever you're comfortable sharing, but like this, this is great technology today and will help a lot of people, a lot of marketers. Where do you see it going as, you know, as the technology improves and the the base model improves? Yeah. I mean, I, I see this as changing the way people, people do newsletters and doing things more efficiently, smarter, um, and, you know, helping their email ROI for better or worse email is, you know, the dinosaur that doesn't really go away because time and again, it shows to be one of the best channels. And so I see this as, you know, us helping people really optimize that channel. We have at this point, you know, hundreds and hundreds of organizations using the tool and I, it, the momentum has been particularly wonderful the past couple of years. And I just see that continuing to compound because people are finally starting to wake up to the power of these AI tools. And how would you see us positioning this maybe again as like a small business owner, as a copywriter, as I talk and talk about what I do, or maybe I'm on a sales call and I want to position myself as different and better um, using AI tools like this. Is there a certain approach or angle you'd recommend so that even language that you feel like might be resonating in your audience right now that can grab that attention of the client and say, okay, this is someone who knows what they're doing and they're testing these tools, but they're also using them in effective ways. Mm -hmm. So for your, 
people that are looking to prove their value. Yeah, exactly. Prove their value. Yes. Yeah. I think that if, if they are endeavoring to use a smart newsletter to do that, they can, they can tell their people like, Hey, what if you didn't just send out this like promotional email, like, Hey, buy our, here's our blog, buy our stuff. But instead in whatever given space that's in, like all of a sudden you become the newsletter resource for that space, for your community. So like, I don't know, like financial services, for example, like how valuable would it be for some sort of, you know, like a a smaller um, financial advising operation to, to have this amazing resource that they could pass on to their clients and prospective clients that's, and, and keeps them relevant. And that doesn't just, you know, that doesn't just scream, you know, Hey, we're here for you. Like come do business with us. But instead it's a, this continual way to nurture their prospects. And so you're copywriting folks. So your people who are trying to sell their value could say like, I could stand this up. I could stand it up so that you can be the ultimate resource in the space and help you remain relevant to your customers in between purchase periods or in between times that they're, they're ready to buy. That's great. That's a great sales script that we can just <laughs> fumble through it a little bit. No, that but... was great. Well, I like also the language of this smart newsletter. Is that something you hear resonating um, in the space? I think that really stood out to me. Yeah, I think so. I, that's we before people were ready for for AI is is the term. Um, we you know five, six, seven years ago using AI. Um, didn't didn't always resonate with people. You know, they always just thought killer robots, and and so now we can now we can talk more about AI more explicitly. But I think smart newsletter was a way to convey the value that wasn't you know shouting AI from the rooftops, especially early on. Which might still translate better with some clients that are just like aware of AI but not necessarily ready to jump in. Mm-hmm. But they like the idea of staying relevant. Mm-hmm, definitely. And you did say relevant. So I think it's like, I, I'm trying to think of the right question to ask you, but I think what I'm trying to ask you is what advice would you give to writers and creatives who want desperately to stay relevant? They don't want to, they want to stay, continue to grow their business. Um, they understand they need to experiment with tools, you know, learn and, and follow people, listen to the right podcasts. But what else do you think we should be thinking about to stay relevant and to stay useful as things rapidly change, what would you do? Yeah. I mean, um, the speaker's name who we were talking about prior to our record, he had such great advice. Yes. Yes. So he was, he was talking about at Maycon and I thought this was such great advice. Like generative tools are useful for the more like commoditized content. Like if you need to put a blurb, of content like on the page of your website that tells people like directions to get to your to your storefront like that's like go use AI for that. But when we're talking about like the cornerstone piece of content that's creative and maybe you like need to interview people for that like the human won't be ever be able to be taken out of that equation the one of like creating new knowledge. So use AI to do the things that um, that AI can do best like the commodity stuff that's not super valuable, but needs to be there. And then you as the human go create that new knowledge and you, and, and free up yourself in terms of free up your time asset to, to do that. 
Yeah, no, I love that. It's like free up your time and capacity to have, to attend in-person events or to make those human connections and find more clients or speak if sharing your message is important then have create more speaking opportunities and create time for that. I think people like as this world of generative AI evolves and there's going to be so much bad content that it's easy to create out there. I think people are hopefully going to crave the really authentic stuff. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about that too, brand and how how important you feel brand positioning and uh, distinction will, I mean, it's always been important, but I feel like that's, it's becoming even more important. Even when we look at platforms like yours with these resources, it's the brand, the trusted brand that will really set it apart and make it work. So how do you view that in your space, especially working with so many different clients? Like, what do you see as far as brands that are working well and maybe brands that are less strong and um, need to really focus on that in the future? Yeah, I think the human relationships are going to be so important to building your brand when there's so much bad content out there and, you know, like over commoditized stuff, people are going to crave knowing that there's a human on the other end of, of their, of their important work. So I think to what you said earlier, you know, going to those conferences, meeting human beings, those connections are going to become even more important. I think in the coming years as this world of AI just continues to blow up. And before I shift away from AI, I just have to ask you, because I have to ask anyone I talk to, but what excites you the most? And then what keeps you up at night? If you can share specifics. So both are AI pieces. One is that like the world is waking up to wanting to do their work smarter and better and more optimized and they're more open to change and not just sending out a generic one size fits all blast. They want to optimize their email campaigns. And so that's, that's really, that's really helping us because people are finally looking for what we do in a really, um, in a really, what's the word I'm looking for? Intentional way. What scares me is probably what scares anybody who stays on top of this stuff. So I think about how much time I have to spend and invest in trying to um, stay on top of these technologies and the news and AI and where the world is going. Like it is a time investment. It is something I try to do really intentionally. And so when I think about like these, these models and how quickly the robots are able to learn and then how rapidly that's changing and accelerating. And then when I think about the robots all being able to learn from each other and then how long it takes me to just learn, you know, read a few news stories and and listen to a few podcasts a week. I mean, think about that scares me. I mean, it's just scares me. They're going to be very smart robots here in a few years. (laughs) Very smart baby robots that need. Yes. And circling back to what you just said about um, these customized, personalized newsletters and how people want, will want those. They already want those. I was just thinking that becomes a new expectation in this space. And I think this is where it's so relevant to copywriters, content writers who are working in the email space. You know, if this becomes a new norm uh, over the next year, I don't, you'll know the timeline better than I would, but over the next year where 
these pers- hyper-personalized smart newsletters are common and expected, then all of a sudden, if you're sending out like the old school newsletter for your client or for your own brand, all of a sudden that probably, it only breaks trust, but it starts to potentially hurt your brand or just pull you out. Um, I don't know the right word here, but it is something we have to pay attention to if that becomes the norm and the expectation. So how do you view that? And what do you see as the timeline, a realistic timeline where it's like most people are going to have a smart newsletter, an AI personalized newsletter by, you know, in a year or by 2025, maybe it's by next month. I don't know. That's so hard to say. I mean, I don't know, maybe... I hope it, well, I hope it becomes the norm like tomorrow. Right, for your sake. But I think it also depends on how people do their one size fits all blasts too. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're talking about your writer community, you know, to be fair in that way, like that's their writing is like their, you know, their bread and butter. And so that, that, could still remain relevant, of course, but it just, you know, it depends on, I think, I think how you do it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know the timeline. I hope it's, I hope it's really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's, we need to pay attention to it. Cause if it is fast, we need to be able to make that shift or at least speak to it. If we're not using a smart newsletter as a service provider for our clients, we need to be able to speak to why ours is better or different and why it's okay that we're not doing that. Um, because they'll be aware of what else is out there. And I I love the idea of bridging the two together, bringing the creativity that we bring as writers, but also using this tool that's incredible and and is smart and personalized. Like we can do both. So I think it kind of like, it's one of the big things is going to be, if you're someone who can only get your, like newsletters are so important to keep people in touch with your brands, your clients, your prospects, all your community. And so where it's going to be like, a, why aren't you doing this yet? Is if you're like, well, I can only get out a newsletter once a quarter. Well, you're not going to remain relevant in people's lives if you're only getting a newsletter out once a quarter. So that's where this is like, yeah, you need to start doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, I drank the Kool-Aid because I'm like, okay, I'm committing. We're going to do it. We're going to make this happen. Um, okay. So before we wrap, I do want to ask you about, uh, let's see. Conscious Capitalism, which is an organization I think that you belong to. I, I read about this in your bio, and I just love to hear, of course, that attracts me. Um, like, what is it? What does it do? And um, how could we get involved? Is that something that we could get involved in if it if it speaks to us? Yeah. So it's for it's for leaders and organizations who believe that in doing business, you can also do good. And not just in the way of, you know, doing philanthropy, that's also part of it. But it's, it's like the idea that um, in doing business, it's not like a net loss for anyone. You like, you can make the world a better place. Um, so one of the, one of the co-founders of Conscious Capitalism, um, Mackie from Whole Foods, Mackie's his last name, um, his, his whole philosophy was, you know, even, even if you invest in companies that identify as conscious capitalists, your, your investment's going to pay off at, at higher returns than an average portfolio. People who are thoughtful about all of the various stakeholders in their realm. So their customers, their suppliers, um, their, all of their vendors, like all of the people who touch your business, if you ultimately like make decisions that are good for them and you, it's going to pay off in your business and it's going to make the world a better place. So that's 
I hope if anyone in the conscious capitalism world is, is listening to this right now, I hope I did it justice. <laughs> you passed um, the test. Yeah, but it's, um, and it's, it's just a great, you know, it's a great way to network the, the people in it um, are just like good, kind, smart and thoughtful leaders. And so it's, um, it's a great resource for me to learn from as I, you know, go down my journey too. I want to join it. I want to be in the club. Yeah, yeah, I can I can connect you with with um, some of the folks over there. Absolutely. All right. Well, before we officially officially wrap, where can we go? Anyone listening who is interested in learning more and maybe wants to test out uh, your personalized AI newsletter, try it out for their own business, maybe test it for a client, create a new package. What should they do? So we have we have a trial. So go to our you know rasa rasa.io and enter your email, go through what, you know, we'd call to use a nineties term, a bit of an onboarding wizard and, and play around in there. Um, and enjoy, hopefully, hopefully you start using it and hopefully you can find some customers and clients that it's relevant for too. That's the end of our interview. Before we close out, I just want to emphasize three or four of the ideas that Karen and Erica uh, discussed through the interview. So uh, initially we talked a lot about research and Erica talked about her role as a product developer, as a COO, and how closely she needed to work with their very first users to figure out what it was that they liked, what they wanted from the tool. And you know, I've been working on a project for the Copywriter Club that we're excited to share with you later in September, towards the end of September. Uh, and I've been you know, up to my elbows in research and, and how you research and the kinds of research that matters. And it's just driven home the idea that for so many copywriters, we don't spend enough time being close to the customers, close to the users that we're writing for. Oftentimes we start with the product. Sometimes we start with the authority, the expert, the person that is putting out that product. And we don't go much beyond that. We know that the product solves a problem. We know the problem and how it shows up in users' lives, but we don't spend a lot of time talking to users. And I think it's really impressive. Uh, and, and it's an idea that we should be borrowing from the product development world more as copywriters to spend time talking to these customers, talk, figuring out what is it that they are using the products, the services, that we are creating to do in their lives and how we can make sure that their experiences with those products and services are delightful, that are, they're life-changing. And also being open to the fact that a lot of users, they don't, and, and Erica talked about this, they don't wanna share negative experiences. They, they oftentimes hesitate to share that because nobody wants to offend anybody. Nobody wants to you know, make you feel bad. And so even if they're not having a great experience with your product, sometimes they'll shy away from sharing that with you unless you make them really angry. And you need to seek that kind of feedback out as well, because that's where the, the opportunities really are hidden. The, the improvements that you can make the ways to connect with those clients and, and really solve the problems. So I, I think that's worth underlining and hammering home. Also thinking through that, you know, as, as we think about that research process, different groups of people have different needs. And Erica pointed this out that, you know, when it comes to AI personalization, some people are looking for time savings. Some people are looking, you know, to increase their email ROI. Some people, you know, want ad sales, right? There are, she, she mentioned these specific groups that they have amongst their customers. And a lot of times we get hung up on creating 
personas or avatars that we assign to these groups. And the problem with avatars and personas is that oftentimes they are focused on demographics. Like, you know, the, the person who, you know, we, we might decide is looking for the time savings is a, say, 40, 40 to 45-year-old um, business owner. She has three kids. Um, she's, you know, making enough to to get by but uh, has hopes of you know growing her business she wants to take a vacation in the bahamas and um, she's struggling with finding enough time in her day for her family and and getting things done in her office like we would create a persona that's like that and the the problem with personas like that that are focused on demographic information is that it it doesn't really address the need, the problem that's happening in their lives and the triggers that are going on that make people search for a solution or that have them you know, start to seek out something that's going to fix this problem for them. And so you can still use avatars. You can still you know, create personas if, if you like that. And a lot of our clients love to see them. But make sure that you're focused in on the needs, the need state, the thing that is the trigger that makes the customer want to start using the product, the service, wants to start addressing this pain point or this problem or this challenge that's showing up in their life. Or if it's not a pain, want to seek out this gain, this new thing that they want in their lives. And research helps get us there as well. Erica briefly mentioned uh, her take on sales. And this is something that I agree 100%. It's not about getting rid of product or getting your product out into the world. But it's instead, like she said, helping people with something that you feel passionate about. If you see copywriting as helping people solve their problems, fix those pains, get those gains, attract the things into their lives that they're looking for, and you become an expert in your subject, in your niche or in the deliverable or in solving that problem and focus on helping your clients' businesses succeed, that's what sales is all about. And when we do that well, we we basically become the kind of copywriter that clients seek out and want to work with. Erica and Kira also talked a bit about where to get started with AI tools. This is a huge challenge because literally every week we're seeing 100, 200 new tools emerge and so many of them you know, are lookalikes. They do the same kinds of things. And Erica's advice to, you know, take a look at your week and at the end of every day, write down where you spend your time and start looking at those hours where you don't find joy. You're finding yourself consumed by tedious tasks. They're not really adding value to the product or the service or the, the thing that you're doing for your clients. And those are the things that you want to start optimizing for. And those are the tools that you want to start looking at. I would suggest that, you know, try a different tool every week. And if it, you know, if, if you play around with it on Tuesday and Wednesday and it feels pretty good, keep using it. And if it doesn't, find a new tool the next week and, and invest in those tools that help you, help you in your business, help you eliminate some of those mundane, tedious tasks and use them, pay for them, help them grow, give them feedback and you'll start to find the tools that work into your daily life. I think there's, you know, there, this isn't a very strategic approach. I do think there's a more strategic approach where we, you know, like Erica saying, we look for those things like, hey, I need something that does this specific task for me. 
and we go and get it. But also there's an opportunity to play around with tools, you know, see if ChatGPT or another writing tool can actually help you generate better email headlines and or subject lines. And if it does play around, use it and and uh, let it change the way that you work and let it help you get better at the things that you do. Finally, I just want to touch on conscious capitalism, the idea that uh, Erica started talking about there at the end. This is a movement really started with a book by John Mackey. He's the uh, founder of Whole Foods and has has become a, a movement a lot like uh, B Corps um, that is really about um, using capitalism in a way that's positive for all of the stakeholders in a business, not just not just the shareholders, the investors, but also the customers, the suppliers, the employees. It's a really nice approach to business. And if you want to find out more about that, uh, they have their they have a website. Uh, they put out a lot of content. There are a couple of books that are focused on this conscious leadership or conscious capitalism as an idea. Uh, it might be worth checking out if that you know rings a bell for you. And there are certainly opportunities for copywriters in this conscious capitalism space that are worth pursuing. So just wanted to, to make a note of that. We want to thank Erica Salmrench for joining us to talk about AI and rasa.io and what she's doing there. If you want to connect with Erica, you can find her at rasa.io. That's R-A-S-A.io. Or you can find her on LinkedIn. And just quick reminder, the Copywriter Accelerator opens next week. Go to thecopywriteraccelerator.com for more details now so that you'll be ready with a sustainable, profitable business when the new year kicks off. And the new year is just around the corner here as we wrap up summertime, start thinking about fall and the coming holidays. It'd be great to hit the ground running in January with a business that is designed to attract the customers that you want to work with. And that's all at thecopywriteraccelerator.com. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave a review of your show. If you leave one, we will read it in a future episode. And be sure to check out our other podcast, AI for Creative Entrepreneurs. You'll, of course, find that at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com, as well as on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better copy and make more money.